You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 637. Hollywood is great. I also think it's stupid and small-minded and short-sighted. David Fincher. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Have you ever wanted to learn cinematography from an ASC cinematographer? Well, I partnered with Suki Medekovich from the ASC, and he put together a three-day video series teaching you how to light an actor's face with low-budget lighting techniques that anyone can learn and execute, no matter your budget. If you want to get access to this free masterclass, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Well, guys, today on the show, we have award-winning cinematographer Eric Messerschmidt. And Eric has had the privilege of working with some amazing people over the course of his career, including the legendary David Fincher and Michael Mann, just to name a few. In this conversation, we talk about how he collaborated with both of these giants in the industry, how he approaches the process of lighting and shooting and telling a story visually. And we talk about his amazing work in the new film, Devotion, which is out in theaters. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Eric Messerschmidt. I'd like to welcome to the show, Eric Messerschmidt. Did I get it right, sir? (laughs) You sure did. You nailed it. (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to so, be here. So you've uh, you've done a few things in the business uh, so far. You know, you're a young man, and you've you've been playing with some uh, some heavy hitters over over the course of your career. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> I've been really fortunate. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, I've been really fortunate to work with some great people for sure. Without question. So my first question is, man, how did you and why did you want to get into this insanity <laughs> that is the film business? <laughs> Well, you know, um, I I was a kid that, that loved to make stuff. You know, I loved to take things apart. I loved to build things. I I, I was I was a terrible athlete. Um, 
but I was creative and, and I like to take photographs and I like to paint and, and I like to play music. And I was, you know, I was, I was always doing stuff. And, um, I, I got involved in, in theater really early when I was a kid. And, um, and I was, I was never really interested in performing, but I was always interested in doing stuff behind the scenes. And that kind of led, led me to, um, a life in the movies, I think, you know, uh, to some degree, I, I, I like the, the camaraderie of it. I like the, uh, um, the shared experience uh, of it. And, uh, you know, when it came time to go to college and, and think about what I wanted to do with my life, it just, it just sort of seemed like a, like a fit. And, and honestly, it wasn't so much about the work in the beginning. It was about the experience, you know, it was like about, um, doing stuff with people really. And, you know, sort of like, you know, photography in the beginning really interested me, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a solo occupation for the most part, you know, in, in, in most cases anyway, it's like, it's, you know, it's just you and your camera, um, which I think can be really meditative, but, but, but it wasn't really what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted a experience with a team, you know, so that I just kind of landed in, in, in cinema, I guess, you know, went to film school and, and came out of it on the other end, uh, trying to figure out what to do for, you know, the next 40 years of my life or whatever it ends up being. <laughs> now you came up in a time where you really needed to kind of go through the mentoring process in, in, in the, in the scope of like, you get on set, someone takes you under their wing and you might've learned some stuff in film school, but it really starts on the film set. And you've kind of worked your way up and, you know, did a lot of gaffing work. You did second unit work until you became a cinematographer uh, on your own. Right. And so many Filmmakers today, especially young cinematographers today, they just come out and they're like, I'm a cinematographer uh, because I have a camera. And and then I've worked with some of them and I go, oh, you you've never seen Blade Runner. Oh, OK, uh, like it's 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 an interesting time because now, you know, when, when you and I were coming up because we're of similar vintage, I'm a slightly bit older than you, but a little similar vintage. You know, the, it was so expensive. man. Everything was so damn expensive. The gear was so expensive. and and you couldn't get access to this stuff. So you really couldn't practice on your, I mean, I'm assuming you came up on film as well. I did. I did. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my generation of film students, you know, we didn't have HD cameras or I don't, I don't think, you know, when I was in school, we even had a digital, I mean, it wasn't even part of the conversation, you know, we were processing 16 millimeter film or, you know, the, the, the senior students and the MFA students were shooting in 35 and, you know, it was like an investment to make a movie at that time. I mean, it still is obviously, but, uh, but for us, you know, it was like you had two, two cans, you know, two, two 400 foot rolls of 60 millimeter and you had to make sure it counted, you know? Um, <laughs> oh, but every yeah, time that, you know, I no every time you heard that little, like that's money, that's money just flowing. Now you yeah, just exactly. roll yeah. and roll and roll. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was like back when rehearsal meant something. You know, I, you know, I, I think, um, I'm really glad I had that experience, and I'm glad I did it that way. And and um, you know, I, uh, I, th I think it's important. You know, I mean, I, 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 no, I, I, I don't think that what we do, or or certainly what I do, um. For a living can can be learned in in school. I mean, there's you know, it's like you you learn things like how to how, you know you kind of learn how to how to react to imagery, I think, and how to critique imagery and how to think about movies and how to think about you know the big picture idea of storytelling and stuff to some degree in film school. And, um, 
you learn about your own taste and what you're attracted to and that kind of thing and how to communicate with other people. You know, all those skills that are incredibly important. Um, but, but you don't learn much technique in film school, you know, because you just don't have enough time. You know, it's like, a, it's like, the, uh, a film set is a complex environment, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, it's an environment of, of technology and equipment and, and and it's math and science and it's also personality, you know, storytelling and creativity. And it's uh, it takes time, I think, to learn how all those things congeal, you know, and, and how to navigate it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I really believe that the kind of the mentorship idea or the. The idea of matriculating through the process is 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 a really good one and something worth protecting. You know, I mean, I came out of film school and I was like, I'm a cinematographer. You know, I had business cards. I think that said, I'm a cinematographer. Well, I mean, you know, out of business. And that's all. That's all you need is a business card. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, fake it until you make it, right? But you know, I, and and I I got to LA and I, you know I had shot some music videos and some short films. Like I'm going to be good. And then of course the reality of life hit me and I had to. You know, my parents, you know, we, we didn't have any money. I didn't come from a wealthy family. My, you know, my parents are teachers and librarian, you know, it's like we, um, so I, you know, I kind of had to, I had to make it on my own to some degree, you know, and, and figure out how to make a living and pay my rent and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, and in the end, I wouldn't have, tra I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I mean, I, I got to meet so many great people and I, I learned from them, you know, you absorb their, their technique and their, their process. And I think that's crucial. It's certainly been incredibly important in my life. Yeah. You worked on, uh, as a, as you, you started really coming up as a gaffer and you did, a, you gaffed on a lot of big shows. I mean, you worked on Ant-Man. I know with Russell, Russell's been in the with Russell, who's the sweetest human being. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Now back to the show. Ever, um, he's like lovely. Yeah, he's he is fantastic. such a lovely, soft-spoken guy. And I'm like, how did you work with James Cameron for so many years? Like, how <laughs> how did those two personalities work, man? And then he's like, I'll tell you some stuff off air. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you've I'm sure you've heard a couple stories as, as well on set. Sure. But but sure. as a gap so as a gaffer, can you explain to everybody what it meant to come up as a gaffer? Because the DPs I've worked with in my career who came up as gaffers, I find are so well versed on set. They just there's just a different way of looking at the set, how to do a setup. You've already been doing what you're telling somebody else to do because you're like, yeah, just set that over here, and then they just do their thing. How did yeah. that prepare you? How did that prepare you to be a DP? Well, you know, I think there's a couple things and look, everyone's got their own process and everyone has their own, you know, their, their own path. I, for me, um, I was, you know, I was lucky. I, I, I liked lighting, you know, I liked the, I liked the stuff and initially, I like, you know, I liked the process of being on a set and getting in the mix of it, you know, um, you know, when, when you're a gaffer, uh, you're in the movie quite early, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're in a lot of the the early conversations, depending on how how uh, much the the director of photography chooses to involve you. You're you know you're often on the early scouts. You're certainly on the tech scouts. You're in the production office. You're negotiating with the producers. You're 
negotiating for equipment and re, you know labor resources and stuff and you're you know you're oftentimes in meetings with the director and trying to figure out how to accomplish certain things and you're in a great position to observe those conversations happen as well as you know a bit of a fly on the wall in a way that you know camera operators and assistants are not you know you're your camera operator, you're rarely on a tech scout. You're very rarely in the office in the prep. And, you know, you may have intimate conversations with a DP and the director about how they're going to approach certain things. But, but, but I think when you're a gaffer, you're really kind of in the thick of it. Um, and, and for that, you know, for me anyway, it was incredibly helpful to learn how to prep and how to, you know, learning how to read blueprints and draft and how to communicate with the art department. You know, you're, you know, and I was a gaffer, I spent a lot of time, um, in, in production designers offices and art directors offices and sitting in there with the draftsman and you know you're you're you you know you learn about all that stuff and you have to get good at it quickly if you're going to survive you know so um that you know that process and that that kind of part of my life was was incredibly helpful to me um and then of course you know that's doesn't even include all the conversations you have with the DP uh, in prep, right. then also obviously during your, you know, during, during the shoot, you know, when you're shooting your, um, you know, at least when I'm a DP, my closest ally is always my gaffer, you know, I'm on, they're the person, you know, I, they're, you know, kind of the, the most effective weapon I have. And also, you know, the shoulder that I cry on most cases, you know, <laughs> um, so, you know, because they, they're sort of, you know, the gaffer is, is in a really good position to kind of observe um, uh, objectively about what's going on in the, in, on the set. You know, the operator is often in the mix. They're there with the, the actors. They're there with the director. They're, you know, they're, they're working every shot and they're, they're hyper involved. And the gaffer is, you know, working the setup and getting the setup right. And then they're in a position to kind of step back and watch the, the shot take shape. and. Um, so I, I find the gaffer is a really good person to kind of turn to for objection, objective feedback of what's going on and how the shot is taking shape and what they think could be improved and all that stuff. I mean, you know, not not always even just in lighting, just in terms of generally what we're doing, in, uh, you know, as filmmakers. And so, you know, right. I always when I look for a gaffer, you know, I, I look for a filmmaker first and foremost, you know, beyond um, what they're what they're lighting skill might be or the personnel management skill is you know now but, there's yeah something... i mean I, I, i'm really glad i came up that way <laughs> you know no, no no question no question and there's something that that they don't talk about very often uh anywhere let alone in film school is the politics on set uh there are politics that you have to deal with within the crew there's different politic groups there's the producers and the directors but even just within the camera department there's politics that you know and on set and on you know the production design how do you approach dealing because i'm assuming it hasn't always been a smooth smooth a coast the entire career you've had you know you've probably you've probably run across some politics on set and how to deal with it and how to properly you know not step on people's toes and how to even fight for your own you know as a dp even fight for your own uh vision while still serving the director but there might be other departments that are pushing on you because it's easier for them, but might not serve this, the movie. There's all sorts of agendas on set that they just people don't talk about. So can you kind of discuss that a little bit without obviously naming yeah. names? <laughs> sure. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, film set, film set is full of creative people. You know, people get in the movie business because they they want to they want to contribute. You know, and they uh, they want to participate and. Um, 
I, you know, I think I think generally people in movies, sets, and and film crew, they they have the best intentions. You know, um, uh, generally people, you know, they really want to make a great movie. Um, they want to they want to do the work. They want to participate, but also, um, you know, a lot of the work is sometimes just service job. You know, move this from here to there, do this, do that, and 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 that can happen. Um, you know, someone in my position with a director, you know, if you're paired with a really strong director, hey, I just need to put a 29 millimeter lens here. That's the shot. 29 millimeter lens here, you know, and you may personally think, God, it'd be so much better on a 35 to pull back a little bit, you know, but you have to be careful about, you know, when you uh, assert yourself, you know, and, and you have to read the room and understand what's going on and sort of, you know, I, 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 uh, it's it's you know i think it's about timing you know and 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 you're right it's it's there are people with agendas and there are people that desperately want to be heard and there are people who um uh who are uh who, who get frustrated when their voice is not heard you know and <laughs> and and then sometimes you have to deal with that you know um and and it's you know it's that is part of the job for sure, you know, I mean, there's there's a bit of air traffic control and personality management with being a director of photography, especially in a bigger movie, you know, where there's, uh, <laughs> you you know, you might have an operator who's very outspoken and who wants to communicate straight with the director, and you have to figure out how to, you know, when to assert yourself into that conversation, when to allow that conversation to happen, how involved you want to get, if you know, decisions are being made that are outside of your, um, uh, what, you know, what you think might be appropriate for the scene, when to interject without making someone feel bad, et cetera. You know, it, it's, it can be complicated. Um, uh, you know, it, it happens with production designers too, you know, so how do you, uh, if you're a director of photography, how much ownership do you want to take over things like color palette, you know, or costume designers, production designers too, you know, you sort of have, um, the, you know, the director of photography, the production designer, and the costume designer are often tasked with sort of forming an aesthetic the aesthetic principles of the movie, you know, be, you know, obviously with the help and, and with the leadership of the director, but you're, you're, um, you know, in, in many cases that, you know, those three people, I think, um, end up sharing that responsibility. And, and to be honest with you, probably the director of photography gets a disproportionate amount of, which really should go, um, uh, in many cases, it should be more equally shared, I think, but, uh, you know, it's 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 challenging, and you know, I think you hope that you you end up with uh, enough people who are generous and thoughtful and 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 are able to share um, themselves creatively. You know, that that you don't run into a lot of problems. It's not to say that they don't exist, and you know, I, I also think that there's something to be said for debate and and disagreement. Mm -hmm. You know, um, on a set, you know, it's like. Some of the best work I've done has come because a production designer and I have disagreed about a direction to go on a particular set or a particular way to design something or, you know, especially like complicated physical effects, you know, sort of things like that that need that, you know, that are, that are different than a couple walls and a camera. You know, it's um, those oftentimes if, if, you know, two people meet and they're strong minded and it's like, well, let's do this. No, I think we should do this. And then, you know, if it's a safe space creatively, then you work something out. If it's not a safe space, that's where it gets ugly, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I, I do think, you know, that's sort of the idea of it being a place for ideas that you can then, you know, um, debate is, is important. Um, but, uh, 
Yeah, no, no. Does that answer your question? I mean, you're right. No, it answers. It's no, no, it, 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 no, it's a, it's, it's a complicated thing. It's a very toe up. You know, you're on eggshells kind of situation, and it is a case by case basis. Like as a cinematographer, you know, when you're working with a strong director, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And you have worked and are currently working with two of the strongest directors in the business, Michael Mann and David Fincher, on your on, on two of uh, two projects that are coming out next year. I mean, they're really strong directors. Fincher specifically, you know, I had I had your friend and colleague Jeff uh, Cronenworth on, and you know, I talked all about like David is legendary for being so technically precise with everything and. He's he almost has a Kubrick esque vibe to him in the sense that he could maybe light the damn thing himself like Kubrick used to be able to do like he's yeah. so technically good at this stuff you know what I mean so how do you as a cinematographer approach working with someone like David because I know you worked with Mindhunter which by the way gorgeous love that please tell me another season's Thank coming uh, <laughs> soon please I want another season I think I'm not the only one we all want another season. <laughs> Oh, yeah, me too. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but like, how do you like I, that was a different that was a different scenario. I think that was kind of when you first started to work with David directly as a cinematographer, correct? That's right. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. how did you, how I mean, did you, you know, David and I, David? I, you know, I, I had seen Jeff work with David and I, you know, I mean, I have Jeff is, a, is a, you know, an incredible mentor to me, you know, I mean, I owe him so much and, and um you know jeff is a real master at um managing the set and managing the environment and, and supporting the director he's working with you know i mean i've i worked with jeff when i was a gaffer i worked with jeff on with many other directors other than david as well you know and, and jeff is always consistent at making you know he protects the director and and um and supports them uh in you know whatever way he you know he can find that they need need support and i think that's something i learned from jeff is is you know the, the the role of the cinematographer is fluid um and it's it's not a binary black and white thing it's not like okay i do this and you do this it's it's um it's much broader than that uh and um you know i think i think part of it is you 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 meet someone you talk to them and and then you're you know your first day on the set you really learn what it is they need from you or right. or you know and they don't always tell you you know i mean i think is some you know directors uh uh you know often think they need something other than what they what they actually need to you know i mean they're they're they're, they're not always the best people <laughs> at at stepping back and observing what it is um um how how best they need to be supported you know i mean i think none of us really are you know you sort of have to inquire and ask ask your, you know what, what happened there you know um but uh you know, uh, David is not that case. David is extremely good at sort of recognizing where he needs help and what what he um, what he needs. And you know, David is an extraordinary communicator. He's very clear and concise, and you know, he has tremendous economy of language, so he can say quite clearly clearly about what he what he wants to accomplish. Um, but he's also, you know, he's he's been I, I think a bit mistreated because he is uh, incredibly collaborative. Um, at least that's been my experience with him. I um, heard the same thing. I heard know, the very same. open to ideas, and yeah, and um, 
and and excited about ideas and wants people to bring ideas to the table. He just wants them to he wants the ideas to be presented in a in a reasonable way with enough time to to act on them. You know, um, and uh, helicopter shot but, right know, here. No, Let's I go. Mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, you know, no, it's like, and I I think that's. You know that's really what you want a director is you want someone who has who who has a vision who has a plan who says okay we're going to do this and this and this and this um and if there's room for improvement or room for other ideas you can voice them when it's appropriate and, and they could you know it's 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 up to the director about whether or not they're going to take that idea or not you know i i don't think of my job as being one necessarily that um that requires me taking ownership of anything i mean i think it's like you know i want um a film I'm working on to be a dictatorship. I mean, I think that that's where the best work gets done. Honestly, it just should be a benevolent, benevolent, you know, it should be, <laughs> um, ideally, but, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, I, I hope that I, you know, I, I come and approach something and I, and, and the director I'm working with, um, has brought me there because they, they like or are interested in my point of view as well, you know? So, so I, you know, I want to bring something to the party and, um, and I think, you know, it's certainly my relationship with David has been that it's like, we, you know, we, we make a very good team in terms of evaluating what's going on on the set and, and, and bifurcating our collective responsibility. So even though, and you're absolutely right, David could for sure, um, uh, show up and, and talk directly to the gaffer and say, put that light there, put that light there to, you know, whatever, um, but he also knows that I have a skill and I have a, a communication method with the gaffer and I have taste and I have a, a point of view that, that, you know, for whatever reason, um, he sometimes likes and is willing to, to let me run with. And then if he doesn't like something, he points it out and that's okay. You know, I mean, that's, I think that's part of the job and it's, it's really a, a lot of it is, is helping the director, you know, hold the walls up of their sandbox so that they can play, you know, and, right. and, and that's the way I try to look at it, you know, um, as much as I can. I mean, it's ego always gets in the way a little bit. You want, you know, you really want to take, <laughs> uh, sometimes you feel strongly about whatever it is you're going to do it, you know, uh, and you, you know, if, if you, you know, if it seems appropriate, you debate and if it's, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you know, you're not the director and that's how it is. And and I think you're right. I think you said that David kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. I think it's because of the legendary number of takes he takes. And I think that kind of has been like the the mythology of of the myth of working with David. Like you're gonna do it's like Kubrick. Again, we'll go back to Kubrick. You're gonna do yeah. 70, you're gonna do 70 takes, and he might take take three, but he's gonna push you to 70 because that's just the way his process is. And and from someone who's worked with him. Is that true? He does do 60 takes of stuff. I'm not every take of everything. Obviously. I mean, he will. I mean, David, you know, David wants to do it until it's right. And I think he should, you know, I think absolutely he should. I, I mean, and, and, you know, it's like, look, uh, I've been in a DI suite where we haven't done it right. And it's painful. Oh, it's I hard, know. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know? And, um, and, uh, you know, no, nobody walks out of the movie theater and says, at least they made their day. <laughs> um, That's so great. You, know? you, should, you should actually get T-shirts made and give it to <laughs> give it to the department <laughs> and just like no one walks out of the theater and say, oh, they, at least they made their day. You're, yeah. abs you're absolutely yeah. right. But that's you but know, that's why. I, but that's why it's that's why his movies look the way they look. And that's why they are. 
the way they are. It's, I mean, there's something really magical about a Fincher film all the way back to, you know, from uh, seven, even alien three with all the problems he had with that, but seven and fight club and the game and, and all of those films, they're so specific, almost when I look at him, because I'm a huge David Fincher fan, he's almost surgical um, with how he approaches telling the story. It's almost like a surgical scalpel, almost like it's so clean and every edge is almost done right. And I think that just comes from 10,000 commercials and music videos he shot before he ever got onto a film set. for Yeah. For feature. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's like I think I, what what is important to appreciate about David, and I think any any filmmaker is that the that um, you know David in particular though is very aware of film technique and film grammar and the kind of you know the 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 he's he's incredibly cinema literate. So if you said to David, "Hey, I, I need you to go out and and." Um, or let's let's take this. You're going to take this commercial, but I need it done in the style of of, of Jean Luc Godard. You could absolutely do it. You know, it's like David's David's choice of technique is 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 his art. You know, uh, I think, and um, you know, I, I think I think people discount and, and it's uh, and I wish it was taught more in, in cinema. Is the idea of this kind of balance between between intent and working practice, you know, the idea that you have, you have, you know, the Kubrick methodology of like, this is the shot I'm going to shoot. And it's going to be this shot. It's going to be on a 20, 27 millimeter lens. And the focus is going to be here and I'm going to get it until it's perfect. Right. And it might take all day, but I don't care because I need this shot. And then on the other side, you have a kind of, French New Wave or Cassavetes or whatever you want to call it, of this kind of verite idea of like, well, let's just go out and shoot, you know, um, um, Lars von Trier kind of thing. Like, let's just go out and shoot and be spontaneous and exciting and fun, and we're going to get some stuff, and then we'll figure it out in the editing room. And there's some intent in there. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But, you know, they're both completely valid ways to make a movie. Mm-hmm. But but both of them have a tremendous effect aesthetically on the movie, you know, and and so it's so you, your point is quite right. Like you don't get the David Fincher look <laughs> once you do it until it's perfect. Can you imagine you a know? John Cassavetes style David Fincher film? Can you imagine? Right, that, amazing, right? that would be like just David but, you with know, the camera. Go. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine? <laughs> But, you know, the other the other side is true, too. You know, if you, it, you so it's I think that, you know, you have to kind of. It, there isn't enough attention made towards the the environment of the set and the methodology through which you make the set has has a huge bearing on how the movie feels emotionally. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we love to talk about shots and in film school, they look, you know, OK, let's do this handheld and it'll be exciting. Well, it's way more nuanced than that, you know, because um, you could do, you know, I mean, there's handheld shots and. And, uh, you know, the great example, I, well, it's not handheld, actually, but it's on the dolly. But, you know, the shot in Clute, where Jane mm-hmm. Fonda is walking through the through the through the club and she's she's eyeing Roy Scheider. And it looks spontaneous. You know, that shot looks like it's just a walk through the club, Jane, and we're going to follow you. We're going to pull back on the dolly. And it's like, no, it's been if you watch it a couple of times, you realize how incredibly rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and 
and that's you know i think that's the great example of like the perfect card trick of uh of cinema it's like making someone believe they've seen something spontaneous when in fact it's incredibly rehearsed you know and david is is you know better than anyone i know at at exactly that now is there is there any story that you can share publicly uh <laughs> with you, of, of you and david working on set something fun something like I learned something that day by seeing him work, something that you can share publicly. We could talk after hour, after we hit the record button off. We could talk about the I, other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, um, I think about that a little bit. I, yeah, probably. I mean, there's every day, you know, we're sort of confronted with, with stuff. I mean, it's like, right. you know, I mean, uh, you, well, let me let me ask you this. I, you know, you what sort. Was, I, well, let me let me ask you this. What was ahead. the what was the worst day for you as a cinematographer on on working with David that you felt like the entire world was going to come crashing down around you? Which we all have those days on set. And how did you sure. over, how did you overcome those days? And it could have been anything from a camera fell in the lake to the actor didn't come out of the the thing, or or the sun's going down. We're losing the light. What is what was that day for you and David? Sure. It was, you know, the first day we, the first day of shooting on Mank, we, um, we had, a, we had had a plan. We were sort of like, we, we had, um, we had had a plan that, that, that MGM and Paramount would have two different looks. That Paramount would be this sort of soft lit, very like gray environment. And it was because it was sort of the low rent at the time. And MGM would be glamorous and hard lit and lots of contrast. And, and that's how we would, you know, and that was a conversation we had had a lot in the beginning of the movie, you know, like in the prep, we talked about it and talked. And then we, you know, implemented a bunch of lighting plans as a result. And, and the first scene we shot in Mank is the scene where where uh, Gary Oldman is, is gambling with his buddies in the writer's room and they're spinning the they're spinning the, uh, the coin. And there's a whole there's a whole kind of bit with them. And they've got a they've got a showgirl who's 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 uh, they have a they have a a secretary who's dressed as a showgirl and it's sort of like it's it, there's you know levity in the scene and it's sort of silly you know and we were going to do it softly and we were just going to tent the windows blow them out it's going to be soft side light and, you know um and that's what we did and we showed up we rehearsed the scene the day before and it was lit and you know we looked at it and then we we started shooting and and at lunchtime, David pulled me aside and he says it's not working and none of this is working it's it's, it's wrong this is wrong and, you know, I'm quite a literal person generally and and immediately internalized it, you know, it's um, me. I, it's something and, I and really, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and really what it was, was it was a conversation of like, hey, the, we made this decision to do it this way and we can't do it this way. We need to we need to change, change the look. And. You know, of course, yeah. I mean, I sort of feel like, oh my god, what have I done? But then it's, you know, it's just, it was a, it was a decision that we had made that that um, that was wrong, and he was quite right, actually. You know, um, and so we we quickly moved over to the, the second scene we shot. This, they're playing cards, and it's and it was intended to be this kind of very dramatic slashes of, of light, and there's patterns on everybody's face, and it's sort of classic noir kind of style lighting with a lot of smoke and. Um, and we said, okay, well, so we'll go, we'll, we'll pivot, we'll go shoot this scene. And the next day, we're going to go back and shoot this differently. And, and he, you know, so we finished the first scene. He was really happy with it. Uh, finished the second scene. He was quite happy with it. 
And then we went back in, we started talking about how we could do it differently. And, and um, you know, we backed it all up and we put hard light out through the, through the windows instead. And we talked, you know, I explained to him what, what, what I thought we could do differently. And then we shot the scene and it worked great, you know, but it's sort of like, it, it was that moment of failure, you know, sort of like, oh my God, what have we done? You know? um, but in actuality, the conversation was really, it was just, you know, between two people trying to figure out what, what could be improved, you know, and that's, that's one of the great things about David is, is he, he's very open like that when it's not working. Right. And it's so funny because I'm, th I'm sure there's other cinematographers listening right now going, if I would have shot a scene with David Fincher and then went to lunch and he came up to me at lunch, I'm like, Hey man, yeah. Uh, first half day didn't work at all. I can only imagine <laughs> the internal, Oh my, cause I, I, I mean, I've been around DPs all my, my career. I know how they think they're like, Holy crap. I've, I've screwed this film up. And that's at, let's say my level. Can you imagine if David Fincher walks up or Michael Mann walks up or, or, or Joseph sure. works up some, like some these big directors and say something like that, but it automatic isn't funny how you automatically thought just first it's me, but it was, it was a, it's not that you like underexpose something that is unusable. No, we exactly executed what we had planned to do, but it is not working stylistically. It's not like there was a, a problem with your technique. Right. It, what, you, what you went after, you got, but it's not working. That, but you right. internalized it differently. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, because it's, you know, it's, I, I think also when you're a cinematographer, you are, I, I think to be, to be a working cinematographer, you have to, these days, you have to be practical. Right. You, know, you have to be responsible and practical and thoughtful and you have to sort of, you know, the, the, the cost of the day on a, on a major motion <sighs> picture is expensive, I, you know, and it's, um, you want to use your resources wisely and you want to make the right choice, you know, and, um, you know, the idea of reshooting something because, um, <laughs> because it doesn't look the way the director wants it to look is, is, it, you know, it immediately feels, uh, like failure. Um, you know, I actually, the, the I, I quite think that's it's actually the opposite. I mean, I think that sort of that is the process of developing and creating something with someone is is learning about what's working, what's not. And in the end, you know, because we sort of looked at it together and we thought it it we we thought about what could be improved, it opened up a lot of things for us on that film and and, and helped. And um and ultimately, it, it you know it ultimately made us better collaborators, sort of, and it, and it made the it you know it, it improved the film enormously. And so it was like, I it just you know it takes fortitude to make that decision in that moment, and because there was technically nothing wrong with the scene, it just didn't right. look quite right. It didn't work. Um, it just and, didn't you work. Know, all the camera direction we did is exactly the same. You know the performances are quite similar too. You know I mean it's like it's not like, um, like you say it's not like it was under you know mistaken you know nearly underexposed three stops or something. <laughs> exactly. Now, I, I got to ask you, man, because you're working on some pretty big budgets right now. I mean, the movie you're doing uh, with David the Killer, uh, I'm sure not an independent film, uh, and and the one you're working with with Michael Mann, um, Ferrari, which obviously I have to go see. Uh, uh, it's my, my grandfather's company. But um, <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, you're talking about massive budgets it, the pressure is heavy on a normal cinematographer on a basic budget there's a lot of people asking you things on a director as well but you know your your department what's it like dealing with not just five people you i'm assuming your crew is 
fairly massive and you've got a lot of things going on and then you've got responsibilities here and there. And then like you were saying, costs and, and make it, it, it almost seems like the pressure of all the crap that you have to deal with overpowers the creative pressure almost. So there's a balance that you have to, to do. Can you talk a little bit about that? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, I you know, you're right. It's it's. I, I mean, I think that's really where the importance of prep comes in, and um, you know, it's I I believe you make the movie in the prep, and and you know, it's, if you're if you do it right, you're, um, you know, you're you're coloring the lines when you're shooting. Um, and it doesn't mean that there isn't room to to go outside the lines occasionally and make adjustments, but it's. You know, it makes all that stuff easier if you know where you're going in the prep and you sort of have a, you know, you have a visual plan, you have a, you know, you have a logistical plan about how you're going to move equipment and people and, you know, what your locations are going to be and what your schedule is. It's, it, it makes all that stuff substantially easier. You know, it's, it's complicated if you, if you haven't done that, obviously, and then you sort of are, are, are you're making the, you're making the creative decisions and the aesthetic sort of, you know, overarching, uh, artistic stuff at the same time you're trying to solve logistical problems and to me you know that's a real recipe for disaster um so you know if if you can if you can prep the movie in advance with enough kind of understanding of what's going to happen and and you know with a little bit of contingency for weather or whatever then it, it alleviates a lot of that stress but you're right i mean um you know a lot of the job on a bigger movie like that is is just personality management people management and you know you're sort of you were trying to get people pointed in the right direction you know i mean on a on a uh, on the movie i did with michael you know we had really big camera department we were usually you know shooting three or four cameras at any given time and so um you know it's it's you're not in a position necessarily where you can control every frame you know i mean with david and i it's like we kind of set every shot together and we're like okay we're gonna do this and then we're gonna do this we're gonna you know we're picking each lens together and going through, okay, this is the camera and this is the camera. And then, you know, um, uh, not every movie is like that, you know? Um, sure. Uh, and, and sometimes I wish they were, you know, I mean, it, 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 sometimes it can spiral out of you to grasp a little bit and you have to, you have to claw it back. But, um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a bit of kind of, uh, allowing things to happen. You pay out lead and then you kind of pull it back when you can. You sort of try and figure out who's, who's right for which shots. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process of like anything, you know, any kind of massive creative endeavor like that. Now I do have to ask, man, is it a, was it a dream shooting Mank in black and white? Like how you just don't get that opportunity in cinema today. Like I'm sure you got called by Tons of your cinematographer friends at the ASC going, so what was it like? <laughs> it's like shooting, <laughs> shooting black and white at that level. Just, I mean, unless you're the Coen brothers that does it once in a blue moon, but this generally studios just won't allow it. So this was not only yeah. black and white, it was black and white in the style of, of the golden age of Hollywood. So what was it like as creatively just living in that, in that world of, Blacks and grays and whites and all of that. Well, I, you know, I mean, honestly, I was really intimidated. I, I, um, yeah, I can imagine. I, you know, I wanted to make the right choices. You know, I mean, it's it's hard. It's like, I, you know, I, 
I was at the time I was particularly conscious of, of the fact that the, the, that that black and white could easily become cliche, you know, and and derivative of something, you know. It just I I didn't want it to be like oh they're doing the Venetian blind thing, you know. Um, <laughs> right. Or, they're painting the shadows on the wall. You know? They're painting the shadows on the wall. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know. So it's like I think you know I I was sort of you have the idea about what you're going to go out and make, and then you're confronted with the um, you know, the, the realities of the, of the, the limitations, the locations present to you or the stage sets present to you. And, and you sort of, you know, it's like filmmaking is compromised, you know, so you're always, you know, you're always sort of coming to a, coming to an intersection, figuring out, okay, A or B, I'll do this or I'll do this. And you sort of hope that, that the decisions that you make um, in the broad sense congeal enough to make something that's consistent, you know, it's because it's really hard to see the movie, you know, on day six. Um, and uh i you know i i i think you know if i've learned anything from david it's like um and, and michael actually and, and a lot of the great directors i've worked from is like you have an idea and stick with it you know um <laughs> don't get cold feet don't get you know and i did you know there were moments on mank where i was worried and i said man i don't know are we being bold enough we being um you know and I, I went out and had a beer with david one night and i said i don't know man i i, I worried we're not being bold enough i'm worried people are going to be critical of it and he was like fuck them no you're doing exactly what you should do just keep this hold you know hold the course um and it was you know at the time it was exactly what i needed to hear because i was getting insecure about what we were doing and i wasn't sure exactly if it was right um uh, but yeah i mean i mean in terms of black and white it was I mean, God, what incredible opportunity, you know, to do something that, that very few people get to do and, and something I really was excited to do and something I, I quite honestly was not comfortable doing when we, you know, when we started that film. I mean, I got more comfortable with it. And I, you know, did a ton of research and I looked at a lot of images and lots of tests and sort of figured out what it was we wanted to do. But we also, we, you know, we wanted to make our own look too and sort of our own style. Um, that was scary, you know. And yeah, it was. Especially I, considering. And the subject matter, you know, it's like I, you know, I just felt I felt the weight of, of honoring Greg Tolan and, and Orson Welles and the film and the film community <laughs> as a whole. You know, when we were making the movie, I really, you know, I wanted to I wanted to be respectful to what, you know, the, kind of the importance of that movie as well. You know, I mean, Eric, I'm stressed out as you're talking about it and I didn't shoot the damn thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, my God, it was really fun Orson, too. Eric, oh, fuck Orson Welles and it's Citizen Kane and. And every filmmaker in the world is going to see this because everyone's seen Citizen Kane. And I could imagine you could just drive yourself mad <laughs> thinking about this stuff. Yeah, easily. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> we, you know, or you could just go to work and have a good time and, you know. <laughs> and it's another movie. And you just have to, you have to look at it like it's another yeah. movie. If not, you, you'll, you'll psych yourself out without question. Now, I do, uh, you know, you, you are working with Michael Mann. Uh, or I'm not sure if you're, I think you're in post-production at this point on that film. If I'm not mistaken, we just what finished. Was, yeah, we just yeah, finished. Yeah. So what? I mean, Michael Mann. He's a, he's a legend. I mean, he's a legend in our in the in our business, and you know, as well, legendary stories. You know, I was in Miami when Miami Vice was going on. So, and I came up in Miami. Uh -huh. So all I hear is about Michael Mann, Miami Vice stories from all the old crew guys that I used to work with on the commercials. Who's like, yeah, I was on there when Michael and. Eddie almost came on it. Like you hear these stories about what happened back then. So what's it like collaborating with someone like Michael? Cause this is your first 
collaboration with him, correct? It, yeah, it was. I mean, you know, I don't really want to talk a lot about the movie because we sure. just finished it. And it's Fair like enough. we just we just made the sausage. And now we're going to age it a little bit. And in a little while, someone's going to cook it up. And then you guys are going to taste it. And you'll have to let us know if we did any good. You know, but Fair um, I, um, you know, look, it's like I. The great thing about this job is coming in and, and and watching other people, you know, learning how other people make their movies. And, you know, as a cinematographer, I think it's your, you know, it's your job to come in and, and uh, you know, kind of like I said earlier, like figure out how it is you can help, you know, what is it this person needs from me? Mm -hmm. um, and it's often very different. You know, it's, it's, it's often, you know, doesn't um and so there's you know there's a process of discovery i think creatively with people and, and also just just straight up logistically about um where 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 does my cog fit within this machine um you know and the, and the thing about michael is that he is probably the most tenacious person i know i mean he oh. <laughs> will fight forever for his film and he will fight for his actors and he will fight for the, the but, but you know, but most importantly, he fights for the story and he fights for what he thinks is important for the scene and nothing else matters. And I really admire that about him. You know, I mean, he, uh, he is not distracted by the kind of incidental stuff that, that, um, you know, me and my fellow cinematographers would go crazy about if it if it detracts from something that is dramatically important to him and and i think by the way that he's he's absolutely right about that and it's something i really learned from him is um you know you protect the film and the story first and 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 all the other things are are secondary um so you know it's it's uh it's 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 a it's an interesting environment to to participate in and and you know the kind of energy that that feeds is is exciting and, and sometimes complex and um and uh and and uh, uh frenetic but um <laughs> but you know um we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show but Michael, you know, he's a, he's a force and, uh, and, and he's, he's incredible, you know, and it's, and the thing is, you know, I, I have been fortunate to work with a few directors uh, of his vintage and, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they, there's, there's something really special about working with people that have been through, you know, it's, we're not talking 10,000 hours, we're talking a hundred thousand hours, you know? Mm -hmm of, uh, you know, understanding cinema language, understanding blocking thinking about the scene thing about, and then doing it their way, you know, and they're not distracted about like, well, this is how you're supposed, you know, you need an over the shoulder and then you need a two shot and you should get the POV. And, you know, um, Michael doesn't work that way. It's not, you know, he's, he's, um, he's working, um, uh, in, in, in his language exclusively. And, and that's, that's really cool. You know, um, because a lot of filmmakers, especially younger ones, will turn to you and say, well, what do I need now? You know, how many shots to tell this scene or whatever? And you can have your opinion. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think uh, it's, you know, as cinematographers, we're, so, we're there to provide guidance and assistance and, 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 and interpret things visually and contribute 
but but you know I I, I think of all the directors that I admire, the, the ones um, who speak through the frame are 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 my favorite. You know, the directors that really kind of um, are are you know appreciate uh, you know uh, approach it holistically are are the ones that I respond to the best. And so so I'm I'm really cautious when I when I inject too much of my personal opinion um, uh, in, into a director's workflow if they haven't asked for it. You know. If I may piggyback on your sausage uh, analogy, uh, the it's kind of like a great chef who has made the sausage a thousand times the way that it's in the textbook, and now they're just they're just kind of riffing. It's kind of doing like kind of jazz in a sense. It's like, well, but you really need to put the meat in the casing first. It's like, no, I'm going to put the casing in the middle. I'm going to wrap the sausage or the meat around it. And then I'm going to bread it, and then I'm going to deep fry. And then there's, there's you're just approaching it in different ways, and everyone's like, "Oh wow!" But he understands the basics of how to make, or how to shoot a scene, exactly how it's textbook supposed to be done. But because he has so much understanding of the medium of the language, just like David, they could just riff and do whatever. They, you don't need a two shot. You don't need a one. You can cut the whole damn thing on a long shot on a hundred mil through a tree and it works, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, right. oh, but on the, in the textbooks, any film school teacher would go, don't do that. But they just understand right. that language. It's like a Tarantino. Like they understand the film language so well that they just, they riff. It's jazz. It's like watching jazz play. And you are one of the collaborators in the band working with a master jazz player. It's kind of like, you know, if I may use jazz as analogy, you're there and you're just like watching, just going, I handed him the trumpet, but holy cow, I didn't know he was going to do that with it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, it's, I mean, if you're going to you know, run with, if you allow me to run with that analogy a little bit, it's like, if, you know, if we're playing jazz, then, then, um, then in that, you know, in those situations, I'm really just trying to make sure everybody's in tune. Oh, great. And oh, you know? yeah. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we're just trying to like, you know, it's like, okay, I get it. Now we're going to go, oh, we're going to D. All right, cool. Let's play D. All right, let's, well, you're a little sharp. You know, like, let's just like, just sort of attenuate it a little bit enough. Um, you, you know, I, and, you know, it's, it, that's, that's a wonderful thing about this job is, is watching how people make movies and learning how there are different types of movies, you know, different ways to make movies. Um you know, and also learning about the kinds of movies that you want to make. You know, I mean, it's like every time I finish a film, I uh, I think about the types of collaborators I'm going to seek out too. You know, and the types of work I'm interested right. in doing, the things I'm less interested in doing. And you know, I am definitely someone. Um, you know, I I I quite like the kind of surgical type of filmmaking. I like puzzle pieces of figuring out how to, you know, the, the, you know, like I, I, you know, Hitchcock is like my favorite filmmaker, you know, the sort of like the puzzle of, of, you know, show the person seeing something and show the audience what they see, you know, even that, you know, it's a vast simplification of, of, of it, but, um, uh, you know, thinking about how to break a scene down into its bare bones and, 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 and tell the story that way is, is, um, is the type of filmmaking at the moment anyway that I'm interested in. Um, but, you know, it's like, 
No, you got some good collaborators to do that kind of. I mean, David, for for I mean, as you talk about puzzle piece directors, he is he's definitely that guy. And Michael, exactly the same. I mean, but David specifically, like he is. I, look, I mean, not to blow smoke up David's ass, but he is our Hitchcock. He is our Kubrick. There'll never be anyone like Kubrick or Hitchcock. But in our generation, there's very few filmmakers who are as surgical as as him. And then Michael has his. There's never going to be another Michael Mann, and people will be studying Michael Mann yeah. movies for, in 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 film schools a hundred years from now. And same thing with David, you know, and and same thing with Tarantino and Nolan and and some of these other greats. There there's a handful that are our generations Hitchcocks and our generations Kubricks that you just you sit back and you get you're lucky enough to get to work with with some of these guys, man. I mean, you you must smile every day going to work. I'd imagine most days. <laughs> <laughs> Most, mostly i'm worried about whether or not that condor got parked in the right place <laughs> you know, is the techno crane here why is it the techno <laughs> yeah exactly here? God damn it. yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you know so if, i mean if you, you know it's like <laughs> go ahead no no if there's look if you had a chance to go back um and tell your younger self who's just starting off in the business one thing what would that thing Um, it has nothing to do with the equipment. Oh, great. Don't spend Thank so you. I'm worrying about it. Thank you. Yeah. You, you mean to tell me I don't need the latest, I don't need to shoot 24K or 48K? No, no, and you're coming from the, and no, but the thing is that you're coming from the perspective of one of the most technical directors of, and working with David, who is, I mean, he's always on the the cutting edge with reds and, and, and what you guys did with Mank. And, and even then, you're saying it's not always about the latest camera, the latest lens, or the latest lights. No. 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 I mean, some, some of the best shots we did in Mank were lit with a 60-watt light bulb. You know, I mean, it's... it's right. I mean, it, you know, it's... Uh, sure, I mean, technology helps you. You know, mm -hmm. technology makes things easier. Uh, but it doesn't give you better taste and it doesn't, it, it doesn't give you better ideas, you know? Um, and, and when I was younger, if I had spent more time thinking about the ideas and less time thinking about the equipment, I would have had better ideas, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, and I got, you know, you, because you get seduced, you know, you get seduced in film school oh. by, you know, you read American for magazine and icg magazine and they're all the advertisements and everyone's trying to sell you this and that and um and you start to think oh man if i shoot 35 millimeter on my film my film will be better or you know if i if i get an 18k then i'll be able you know and it's it, you know it's funny it's like the longer i spend this business you know and, and the more i have to kind of repent for um the 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 requests i make to producers <laughs> Um, the more I remind them that that the things I need are generally schedule driven, they're not aesthetic. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know. For example, if 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 I you know if I can shoot the establishing shot at at nine a.m. when it's backlit and it's beautiful and there's you know mist in the air and stuff, I don't need anything. I just need the camera. But if this, the actor isn't available till three p.m., then I need all this stuff. You know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and that's that's unfortunately the problem of the big movie, 
you know, the small movie is nimble enough to make that choice. Yeah, great. You need to shoot at 9 a.m. Let's shoot at 9 a.m. Um, you know, let's figure that out. Uh, you know, on on a on a big Marvel production or or a, or you know uh, a big war movie like Devotion, you know, where you're sort of uh, you're you're balancing you know you're balancing aircraft and you know when 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 the when the ceiling is lifted so the the planes can take on off you can't necessarily shoot it at six a.m. when the light is perfect you have to shoot at eleven or whatever you know so you have to figure out how with you know and the compromises become about seeing the big picture and not being myopic around. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, what is what is immediately important to the image versus what's important to the movie, you know, and and that's kind of I think ultimately the biggest lesson for me has been like learning to recognize how my needs impact the rest of the film and how to best navigate it and sort of advocate for what I think is important without detracting from what's important for the film as a whole, you know, and and I think a lot of younger cinematographers fall in this trap of like, no, 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 it has, I have to shoot anamorphic and I have to, you know, and then, you know, they spend $4,000 a week on lenses and then there's no money for costumes. You know what I mean? And it's like, so it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's important to be, thoughtful, I think, about how how you how you absorb the resources of a movie as a cinematographer and how you um, how you advocate for the things you need. Now, you, you brought up Devotion, which is your new movie, which another small independent film you've been doing. Um, can you can you tell everybody a little bit about the movie? And I mean, it looks gorgeous, man. I saw the trailer for it. It absolutely looks stunning. Uh, again, you Thank get you. into play with some beautiful toys in a vintage piece. Uh, I mean, you you can really get to have some fun, man. You're having some fun with some nice toys. I know, I know you. I know you had to suffer in Italy with Michael Mann on on the latest film. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure the food was horrible. The weather was bad. I mean, you're 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 living a tough life, sir. But uh, <laughs> but devotion. Tell me about devotion. Devotion. You know, um, I got a, I got a phone call from a from a, a friend of mine, Bruce Franklin, who was who had been a, a a first AD that I worked with a lot with Joe Kaczynski and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, old friend of mine. And he called me up one day, I was in Chicago doing the finale of Fargo, the TV show Fargo. And my phone rang and he said, Hey, I got this script you should read. I'm producing. And I said, I didn't know that he had, he had started producing. And I said, okay, cool, Bruce. Yeah, send it over. And he sent me the script and I read it. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so great. You know, it was, it was, it's a war film, but it, it was really a drama in in the uh, under under the um, the guise of a war film, um, and uh, and it was period. And he's he you know he said, look, I've got airplanes. We're going to shoot it for real. We're not going to do a bunch of visual effects. We're going to we have an aerial unit. They're going to go up and they're going to put these planes in the air. We're going to choreograph this. And I think you're the guy to do it. I want you to meet with the director. And I said, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, get me on the phone. So we met, I met JD Diller the next day and we had a, you know, I don't know, two and a half hour meeting and we just talked about everything. We talked about the movie. We also talked about life and we talked about cinema and we talked about history and race and politics and, you know, a lot of things that related to the movie and a lot of things that didn't just because we became fast friends. And, um, and I, you know, I, I finished the zoom call 
And my phone rang and, and it was Bruce. And he said, hey, do you want the job? I said, yeah, of course I want the job. So we did it. Um, and it was great because I had, you know, they, they had, um, they knew that they had, they had bitten off a, a, a big chunk and, and they wanted to do it right. The producers um, really, you know, wanted to support the film and they were prepared to sort of support the film. So I had a lot of prep time and I sat with JD and we, you know, we, we sat in LA and we storyboarded and, you know, brainstormed ideas about how we could approach it and what worked and what didn't. We talked to people, you know, the guys that had done Dunkirk and um, the guys that had done Midway. And we, you know, we sort of just did our research and we looked at stuff we liked, stuff we didn't like. And, and, um, and then, you know, when Thomas production designer joined the movie and then the three of us would sit down and talk about different ways to call, you know, how much of the aircraft carrier to build and, you know, how are we going to shoot the buck stuff and what can we do for real? And, you know, then Kevin LaRosa and, and Mike Fitzmaurice joined the party and they were um, their, our, our aerial unit, Mike Fitzmaurice, aerial DP, and, and Kevin, the aerial coordinator, kind of second unit director, um, aerial director anyway, um, got involved. And, and that was like a whole new world opened up to me. And I, you know, I had I shot some aerials, but mostly like helicopter establishing shots, very simple things, you know, and and they had a whole different set of tools available to them that they started explaining to us what, what they could do. And we started, you know, hold little model planes up in the air and storyboard and shoot, you know, kind of um, lo-fi previs videos and talk about how those sequences were going to work together. And, you know, it was great. We had it was an incredible experience making that movie. It was, you know, it was a lot of people that really, really cared about it and, and wanted to support JD and the project and were excited. And, and, and we had producers that were, um, just incredibly supportive through the whole process and really wanted us to succeed and were willing to to listen to uh, an outlook that, that maybe otherwise would have been expensive. You know, there was certainly plenty of visual effects solutions to our problems that, that would have saved them a lot of money, but I think would have, um, would have been detrimental to the film. And, and, and uh, you know, that fortunately for us, they agreed and, and they were willing to go down the road with us and try to figure out ways to do a lot of it for real. And that, you know, that I think in the end paid, paid dividends. So, you know, I'm really thankful to them that they, they um, were, were uh, forward thinking in that way. You know, I guess maybe it's backward thinking because that's how it would have been done 75 years ago. <laughs> so, so they pulled like a top gun Maverick. They was like, no, no, we're going to put the, we're going to put the planes in the air and we're going to shoot this. Um, do you see a, a movement because you're working in the big in the studio projects like that? Do you see a movement or almost a slight backlash against so much visual effects, so heavy visual effects? And they're like, no, let's get it for real. Because I mean, even Nolan on on Dark Knight, when he flipped that 18 wheeler, he did it for real, you know, and you can tell and you can sense it. There's something organic on screen that when you're able to do things real it you i mean that, I, I think that's one of the main reasons top gun maverick was such a massive hit among other reasons but just something we just haven't seen before you don't see that in today's world so i'm assuming that yeah you know what you're what you guys did in devotion is going to be you know similar in the sense that you did it but do you feel that as a cinematographer that there that there's a, a movement towards like let's get to see if we could do this for real back back the way it was done even 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's like what Richard Donner did it. You know, I mean, I think it's, I I, I, I think, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I, 
you look, the audience knows we can do anything, you know, I mean, the audience has seen Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, no disrespect <laughs> to Guardians of the Galaxy, but they no. know that, you know, they know we can take them to space, they know we can put you on an alien planet, we know we can, you know, fly you to the center of the earth. So it's, it's not, you know, that it's, it, it used to be the David Copperfield event magic show. You know, that's what the, the audience would go to the theater for, right? They go for the, the spectacle. And now I think the audience goes for the card, the, the sleight of hand card trick. You know, they want to, they want to feel it. They, they would prefer to, they would prefer to not even notice that it's happening instead of seeing this kind of all the razzle dazzle on screen. Um, that's my opinion anyway. But so I, I think, I think when you can do it for real and you can do it for real with, with the assistance of visual effects, maybe. You know, you right. clean up the you clean up the stick that's holding the camera on the plane. <laughs> um, right, things like that. Right. It's different than making a plane. You know what I mean? Um, and it looks different, and it and it feels it feels different. And and I also think, in some ways, it forces filmmakers that that mode of thinking. And 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 look, there's there's plenty of visual effects and devotion, but but we set some rules for ourselves and say, okay, well, we're going to put the camera. We're only we're only going to put the camera in places where we could put a camera on a real aircraft. So we're not going to you know we're not going to put the cam the plane in front of a blue screen, fly around fly the camera around it on a, on a techno crane and give you all these crazy shots and go you know go through the landing gear and up over the flaps and you know we're not going to do that stuff. We're going to do um, we're going to do things that you could really do, basically. Mm -hmm. um, that you know that apply to physics to some degree, and um, and I think you're going to see more more of that. And I think actually, you know, Tom Cruise deserves a tremendous amount of credit for for as as someone who is is yes. promoting the idea and saying, hey, look, what, you know, cinema is important and it's worth protecting and it's a national treasure and we have to, um, and we have to, you know, the the audience deserves something better than than. Um, than you know, previsiting the, the virtual camera through a, uh, you know, through the wormhole or whatever. You know, I mean, it's there's there's it has to be story forward and thoughtful and considerate and and respectful to the audience. You know, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And and again, there is I mean, Pandora is not going to be shot practically. You know, uh, that's not a practical, you can't go to fly to Pandora and shoot those things practically. So there is a place for that kind of storytelling. You know, when you go into the quantum realm, Ant-Man, probably not going to build a set or a miniature for that. It's going to, right. but if it's right. something that can be yeah, done, exactly. if it's something that can be done, it should try to be done, especially at that budget level. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think also, you know, with, with all due respect to, to um, other filmmakers, it's it when you do it. If you do it digitally, you can make it up later. If you do it for real, you have to decide in advance, and that's intimidating to some people. You know, you have practical considerations you have to think about. You know, if you're if you're Dick Donner and you're gonna you know you're gonna drop the Drop the gasoline truck, at, uh, you know, for real with a real pyrotechnic explosion. Right. You have to be considerate of how big the explosion is going to be and how far the camera is yeah. going to be and what the 
you know, what the location considerations are. And you have to plan it and you have to go and text out and you have to say, okay, we're going to put the camera here, we're gonna put the camera here, we're going to put the camera here. And, the, and the, we're going to suspend it from a truck or we're going to drop it and it's going to explode and there's going to be four days of cleanup and we're going to pay off all the local businesses. And it's, you know, like that, it requires advanced thought in the way that doing a, the gasoline truck, you know, shooting a plate doesn't, right? But there's obvious significant advantages to doing it for real. It's just more difficult and it requires, you know, sort of consider, it requires directing to some degree, you know? Can I... Um, so I, you know, I support that idea. I just, I just wish more people did it. And I wish, and I, and it's part of why I like working with older directors because they understand that and they, um, they advocate for it. You know what I mean? They don't go for the easy solution because it helps the location department. They don't have to pay off that business or whatever. You know what I mean? No, no, no. we're going to drop the truck for real and we're going to blow it up. <laughs> you know, can I, I have to tell, can I tell you a story really quickly? Cause it's, it, this is a, going to exactly what we're talking about. I had Simon West on the show who is a legendary mm -hmm. action director. And he was telling me how he did the Con Air uh, gag when the plane crashed into Vegas. And they found a hotel mm -hmm. that was going to be demolished. And they're like, hold on, can we run a plane into the front for our movie? And they said, yes. And there was, it shut down Vegas for a minute. But the thing was, and this is, goes to your point of like, you have to plan ahead. He had six cameras on that, on that shot. It was a one take. You had, there was one take. Someone said something over the, over the, the walkies. The cameras start, they just took off, but none of the cameras were rolling. First AD was like, oh uh -huh. crap. Oh crap. Yeah, to turn it on, turn it on. So I'm like, turn it on. We're going, we're going. And everyone's like freaking out. And then he's like, I had six, but then two, four of them didn't work. So I had two. And then. We're like, okay, and like he told the whole story. Like three, when all, three didn't make it, there's all film, by the way. And then the two made it. And then at the end, we only really one was out of focus because it's the first AD. Oh, that's right, the crews couldn't. They, the crews were eating at, <laughs> at crafty, and they just, everything was going. So the cameras were going, and they had to run to turn them on. Wow. Oh my! So at the end, they had one shot, one take, on one angle, and that's the angle they got. <laughs> He's like. I can't go back and shoot it again. This is why you had six. Right. If I would add five, we would have been in trouble. But that's a different way of well, thinking you know, about it. It is. It is. It is. You know, I, I, I and I think, I think it's, I, you know, if filmmaking has been made, it's, it's easier now. You know, it's a lot easier. I mean, you know, when I was growing up and I was, it's, you know, I, I came out of film school with one film, you know, and it was like I had, you know, and it was it had been transferred to Beta SP and I had a VHS tape and I would go and show it to people and hand them the VHS tape and look at my movie and it's NTSC, you know, I had the letterbox oh, on it. Great quality. You know, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and if I wanted to make more copies, I had to go find a place that had the, had an SP deck because I couldn't dupe the VHS, you know, and it was like long before DVD. And, you know, kids come out of film school now and they have like six movies that have all been made, you know, on a red camera or, you know, on Alexa or something. And um, God, I mean, I would have been, oh. I, I, what a privilege, you know, what a tremendous privilege to have. And, um, you know, so that, that, and I think that extends out, outward into cinema. So, you know, so when people are like, oh, I don't have any opportunities, I'm, I'm, I'm not that empathetic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Listen, because... I... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll listen. I mean, I, I spent 50 grand on my first demo reel as a commercial director shooting on 35 because you had to shoot 35 yeah. and I would make right. beta SP masters and then I would convert them to three quarter inch. And that's what mm -hmm. I would send out to the agencies because VHS, that's, that was for amateurs. So then it was the cost and I had to make the big, the big clam cases and I had to FedEx them all over the place. And, and it was like, and now they're like, oh yeah, I shot this thing on an iPhone. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, um, no, so, you know, there was no Vimeo when I was, you know, when I just came out of school. That's there was sure. no internet, sir. Let, let's just go. There was no internet. Maybe yeah, there, was no, there was definitely no video. <laughs> There was no video uh, on online, yeah. <laughs> especially when I came out. Yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, not not good, that's not true. good video at least. Um, now, no. when does devotion come out? Say that again. When does devotion come out? Uh, uh, November twenty fourth in theaters. November twenty fourth. Oh, so right, right. Yeah. Oh, so just for the holidays. It, and it seems like a it seems like yeah. a cinematic experience. You got to go see it in the movies. I, I I hope everyone does. Yeah, we did it. Uh, there's an IMAX release. If you have an IMAX theater near you, you can see it. Um, that's exciting. It's the first film I've done that's been IMAX. And um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's certainly a story and a film that deserves to be seen big. It was intended to be seen big. You know, we shot it to be seen big. So Now, I, yeah. I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all my guests. Um, what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? Um, everybody's going to tell you no, and that your work isn't any good and you can't do it and you got to ignore them. Fair enough. What is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Um, that, that there's always another job, but, um, <laughs> but you have to, uh, <laughs> there's, there's always another job. Um, and the time off is is more important than the time at work. So you got to prioritize. Yeah. You have to you have to prioritize your time off with the people that you love. That's 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 the thing that's that's most important. I think. And I've, as I've talked to a lot of DPs uh, in my day and worked with them, they're like, dude, the divorce rate is pretty high. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's no yeah. joke. It's no joke, especially when you become successful as a DP. The balance is really difficult it's difficult to, to do so that's something they don't tell you when you start walking down this path no they don't but no, that was really don't. i mean look you know I, I i think i spent 28 days in my bed last year you know i mean it's 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 challenging you know i spent a lot of time in hotels a lot of traveling and it's a lot to ask of your loved ones and your family and it's um yeah you know it's it, it they don't you're right they don't teach you that in film school and they should and and, and i you know when i speak to students or whatever i try to I try to say, listen, you know, um, if you, if you want to get in this, make sure that you're ready for that, you know, because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it can be quite, quite challenging for sure. It's the carny life, sir. We are just carnies and putting up tents, <laughs> putting on shows and taking the tent down, getting everything on the exactly. train and, and going to the next location <laughs> and setting up shop again. We're carnies at the end of the day. Um, now, and last question, three of your favorite films of all time. Oh God! How much time do you have? That's a long list. <laughs> just three, just three of your <laughs> three of your favorite films that come up in your mind today. Uh, oh my God! I I mean I you know, God, people ask me that question all the time. I I think, um, 
Chinatown's way up there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Close Encounters. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably. Um, God, now you're now you're gonna make me pick a number three. Um, you know, I should pick a I should pick a foreign film because it's underrepresented <laughs> in the list. Fair enough. Fair enough. Up to uh, you. Up to you. And, and my colleagues will judge me, but I I'm not gonna do that. I mean, I think Raiders. Raiders of the Lost Ark, probably. I mean, it's just, it's like those, I just think about the movies that I, they're the movies I admire and I respond to creatively. And, and then there are the movies that I, I have seen a hundred times. And, and, and that is one of them. It's like one of those movies that I've just probably, I've probably they, seen it 150 times. You know? And they move, and they move the, 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 the medium forward. All three of those movies move the medium forward in one way, shape or form. And Stephen, yeah, for sure. I, I, and I can't even start talking about Steven. I mean, Jesus, I mean, I've, I've had so many people on the show who've worked with Steven and I just, yeah, I, I'm not going to gush over Steven. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but brother, man, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your, uh, sharing your experiences with us. And uh, I can't wait to see devotion. And I hope everybody goes out in the theater and actually sees it. sits in a theater, just like they did uh, Top Gun Maverick and enjoy the real life spectacle that you kind of put together, brother. So I really appreciate your time, man. And continue doing some great work. I can't wait to see uh, Ferrari and The Killer, that those two, another two films. I mean, again, you're you're doing okay for yourself right now, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying one day at a time, you know. A pleasure, brother. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Amen. Cheers. I want to thank Eric so much for coming on the show and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you again so much, Eric. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to watch his new film, Devotion, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 637. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.